Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Jerome. Welcome to the show, brother. Man, Corey, I'm so excited to be with the big kahuna. I don't know what to do, man. (laughs) Hey, listen, it's funny how things work and how people come together. You've got a really cool story of how you started kind of in this game of multifamily and what you do now. You've had a pretty good level of success. Can you share your backstory a little bit of how you got here, man? Yeah. I mean, so Inception story is sitting on the stoop with my buddy Duran in college and we're doing math because that's what engineering students do in their free time. I'm paying $3.95. Two roommates are paying $3.95. I've got him living downstairs and he's got two roommates. They're all doing the same thing. When we multiply the deal out, the guy is making $700,000 a year. We never saw him or talked to him. And so the question for us is, how can we set something up like that? Like, why do we want a job if this guy can make that type of money and we never saw him? And so the problem, Corey, and I think it's the one that most investors have when they're trying to get into the space is we didn't have a network. We didn't have net worth and we didn't have liquidity. And so we just finished out our education when they got good jobs and started to build up that credit and that liquidity, but we still didn't have a network. And so I continued to advance and eventually I built a $20 million division for a Fortune 550. The reward for that. Hold on, drop the mic. You didn't put enough emphasis on that because Homeboy <laughs> did some math. That engineer degree put up, paid off somehow. And Homeboy made something. He dropped the bomb, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we had some success, but here's the thing, man. We got to the end of the year and I get this phone call from the guy I was reporting to. And he said, Yeah, Jerome. We're going to lay about half the folks off on your team. And I said, it's Christmas Eve. What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, we are not going to need them in the new year. Now, one of two things can happen. Somebody can do this for you or you can pick the folks who move forward with you. And I started arguing and saying, this isn't the option that we need to go down. And he's like, yeah, it's 459 on Christmas Eve. I'm going to enjoy my family. I'll talk to you next year and hung up the phone. And so I spent Christmas and the rest of the weekend between Christmas and New Year's figuring out who was going to have a home with us when we came back. And the way I got through that, because I didn't sleep or eat many of those days, was promising myself I'd never do it again. Fast forward Hold to- Hold on, man. Yeah, yeah. I got to unpack that for a minute, because see, I got all excited, and then you just dropped the bomb. You see, you tell we didn't rehearse this when we first started. <laughs> this is live off the cuff, man. Homeboy got the news that I'm going to be the grim reaper on somebody. Oh, yeah, the axe man. Axe I mean, man, the axe murderer on Christmas. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. had been so much pressure, bro. Well, it was the first time, right? And so when it's the first time, it's even more shocking. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, we start having some conversations like, yeah, it should be an issue. You shouldn't feel good about it. Yeah, they are people, but it's business. And I'm but like, it's but- a business job. You had to put the business hat on. And but gosh, you're like, I don't ever want to do that again, right? Never going to do that again. And fast forward to Thanksgiving the next year, and I'm doing it again. And I was like, you know what? I'm making all the operational decisions, but when it comes time to make decisions around people, 
I don't actually have the control on that. So I need to make an adjustment. I'm not living out my morals and values and I'm not treating people like people. We had 30% profit margins, brother. And so it's not like we didn't have the cash available to support people while we found something else for them to do. We just chose not to do that. We wanted to put that in the bank. And so I dropped out and I started banging on the doors at banks asking them, hey, don't you want to give me a million dollar loan so I can go buy this building? And they all told me no. And I went to at least 10 of them. And so I was like, well, why not? And he said, well, you don't have any experience. I said, well, I got an MBA. I'm a professional engineer. And I just had a PL that was handling like 20 million. You mean to tell me I can't run this little building here? And they said, yeah, you've never done it. So you're not proven. And I was like, no way. My relationships my network is no better than when I was a sophomore in college. And that for me was like shocking because I spent all those years growing, but I didn't grow the right relationships, man. And so I pivoted, started fixing and flipping. I'm sitting on the stoop of my biggest fix and flip project is a $90,000 rehab budget on a 1920s four square house. And the guy pulls up in a white Dodge Ram, Corey, and he hops out. He sees me sitting there. He's like, hey, man, we're getting ready to do a project down the street. I'd love to check out your finishes and make sure that when we come to market, we're going to be in good shape. And so he walks in, he looks around, he says, man, you took that wall out and you put the sink in the island and that granite with that overhang is amazing. And we go upstairs, he looks in the bathroom, he's like, man, it's a great tile selection. He's like, yeah, I really like the work you did here. This gives me a good idea of what we need to do. And as he's walking out the door, he stops in the threshold and he says, hey, do you know anything about that 23 unit building behind the Chimbo Mart? I was like, yeah, I tried to buy that four or five months ago, but the banks told me that I didn't have any experience. And so he kind of looks at me and he says, huh, well, I'm going to make an offer on it this afternoon. I was like, you're the guy I've been looking for. They told me I need a partner and you absolutely have to have experience, right? Right? You wouldn't be making an offer if you didn't have experience. He's like, yeah, we own a few buildings. I was like, well, please don't leave me out. He said, well, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, I don't know. We don't need to figure that out. I just know that you're the person I've been looking for. Don't leave me out of the deal. And he didn't commit one way or the other. It was totally my fault. I didn't get his phone number. None of that. And so he left. And what do you think he did, Corey? Did he bring me in on that? No, he didn't put you a note. He took it in his own, man. He said, thanks for playing. I wasn't adding any value. I couldn't articulate the value. So he went and made that offer without me. Fortunately, that offer got rejected. And so he circled back to a buddy of mine who I've been lending money to, who is another contractor fix and flip guy in the community. And he said, hey, I want you to come in and deal with me and be my GC. And the guy said, hey, Jerome and I talked about that five or six months ago. I'm only comfortable doing this deal if he's in on it with me. And so I got back to the table. I got back to the table, man. And so from there, we bought it from a big brokerage house. So of course they made the press release. This deal closes and I get interviewed because I'm an asset manager on the project. And I still remember it says rising or up and coming real estate investor partners with proven real estate guys in Richmond to rehab uh, Churchill Towns. And everything changed, man. The bank started calling me, wanted to know what else I had in pipeline. They wanted to show me their products. And I was like, man, I didn't know anything two days ago more than I know today, but you're willing to work with me. And it's the law of the first deal, man. If you close the deal then and you actually sign the loan, then you're in the game, you're in play. But until that point, you're nobody. And if you can't articulate your value, nobody's going to bring you in, man. It's a fraternity or sorority depending on your experience. 
boy, for everybody listening right now, that is golden nuggets. That is the business, right? And it's funny because it's like, it's a small little fraternity, sorority. And just by knowing one person that got you in, right? And he said no in the beginning. Like, he was like, that's great. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but it ended up just so happened, right? And see, sometimes it's a lot of attraction, too. And if you put enough good things out there and you're putting yourself in motion, things will show up. If you're truly, if you're in the game 100%, you do enough good, it's going to come back and bite you, too. Right, and can come back and can reward you. You got in that deal, and just by doing that one deal, it changes everything. Everything. Now, now how did that feel, brother? It felt amazing. It was a long, arduous process. I mean, I think we put it under contract in like June, and we didn't close until like the very end of November or something. So, yeah, because you're running big long- projects, and your other job is like you were running big things with people, yeah. and like, hold on, this is just this little thing right here. This ain't even that big a deal. Like. Come on, right? That's the way I felt until yeah. we got into it. And then I was like, oh, I see now. <laughs> but so things change, right? Because then you're like, oh, wait, this is a whole different edumacation, right? Like, for sure. It ain't calculus here. And it's not so people heavy, but it is heavy because it's about contractors understanding, you know, what you're doing in that game, in that field, right? How you build your team, right? Without question. And so where do you go from there? So that was your first kind of experience in how to partner with somebody. Yeah. And joint venture. You joint venture on the deal, right? Yep. Everything we've done so far has been joint venture. So let's open up that can real quick because a lot of times we all talk about syndications, but there's lots of ways to get to your destination. It's not always the syndication word. There's another thing called joint ventures. Talk about that for a minute with us, brother. Yeah. I mean, so I'm sure your listeners are familiar with syndication, but they might have have heard the way that I describe it. And the way I describe a syndication is being on a jumbo jet. And so I'm getting ready to hop on a plane here in a little bit. And I'm going to walk down the terminal. I'm going to get through security. And then they're going to call our flight. And I'm going to walk up to the desk. And it's usually a lady there. I hand her my ticket. She scans it. I walk down the jet bridge. There's always somebody standing there greeting me. They wave. They say, hi, welcome aboard. I look into the cockpit. I see the pilot and the co-pilot sitting there. They always ignore me. They never turn around and look at me. And so I go back to coach and I sit in my seat. Right. And then we go through flight and I look out the window every time. And there's somebody putting bags on there and somebody putting food on the plane. All those folks that I'm talking about are getting paid to be there, right? Those folks are the general partners in your syndication deal. They are getting paid from the equity that is held back for the GP. And that can be 30%. It can be 20%. I've seen some people do as low as 10%. I don't recommend that if you're an operator, but I've seen some people do that. And the whole thought there is $1 buys 90 cent of equity or buys 80 cent of equity or buys 60 cent of equity, whatever the split is. And that is so that those folks who are working can be paid for the work that they're doing. And you as a limited partner, just sit in a chair and you're along for the ride. Everybody's responsible for experience. They want to make sure you get from point A to point B safely. In this case, that means you didn't lose any money. And everything above that is amazing. For a joint venture, I think about it more like a fighter jet, right? And so nobody is hanging out on a fighter jet just for joy rides. They all have experience. It could be looking for bad guys. It could be shooting the gun. It could be navigating, whatever it is. Every person that is on that fighter jet has a role. And so that's how I think about joint ventures. Everybody is actually responsible for the end result. And so first you want to preserve capital and then you're looking for ways that you can actually increase the value so you can make a profit. 
Hey everyone, 2023 is the year where new millionaires are made and it's time to take action. A lot of things have changed in multifamily and you need to know what is working now. You must learn how to raise cheap capital correctly. You need the systems to unlock unlimited deal flow and you need a support team to guide you along the way. So guess what? The Kahuna boardroom is now open. We only have space for about 60 people, and I'm telling you, this event is next level. We do it right, we do it well, and I will teach you. I will give you everything that I've learned. Now, I only have space for 60 people, and this is really the course that will get you there. So it's three days of live training, a full home study course, our trusted cash flow calculator, to underwrite your deals. And if you enroll now, I'll include five bonus training sessions building up to the live event. So listen, do not waste a single minute. Go to the Kahuna boardroom. I've just lowered the price to $997 for, this is a Valentine's special, my friends. Only 60 people get to attend this event. You want that to be you. So go to kahunaboardroom.com and register today. You will not be disappointed, my friend. Yeah, I love that, man. That's a great analogy, too, using that airplane. Because a lot of times people come into this deal, and first of all, I think a lot of times they think that I got to do this all myself. And that's the big misconception, especially multifamily, too, is like it's a team sport, right? It really is. Now, you can raise money, but a lot of times people come in and they want to be in the deal, and they come in as a limited partner, where they'll actually they just give the money to a GP, and they want to learn that way. Maybe the, for the first experience, you've never been on a plane. Hey, maybe you want to just get on a plane real quick, right? And just do a quick little up and down, see what it feels like. See what that experience is like. But you really didn't learn anything. No? You saw a couple of reports. Yeah. It's really getting on the GP side or the joint venture and having skin in the game and having to sign for something like the loan, right? Because here's the best part. I think when you're talking about putting these deals together, when you sign for the loan, just like you said in your first statement, like that's what changed the life, right? Banks look at you different because you became an operator. And when you look at these joint ventures, a lot of times you can add value in lots of different ways. But once you get onto the, the main piece of it and you're the one doing the work and you're signing for the loan as well with the rest of your joint venture guys, you can say you have experience. And that's the first thing, any lender. So a lot of times I KP on deals for my students. And the reason I have to KP is because they have no experience, right? Even though they're smart, they've got money, they've had businesses, it doesn't matter in the bank size because they've never owned an apartment complex. That's right. And that's just the way the game is played. So the easiest way to get into a deal is to add value in JV. Am I right? I think so. I think the majority of folks who you're teaching did smaller deals first, and then they grew to the next deal and they grew to the next deal, and then they started syndicating. It's always interesting to me when I see folks trying to raise money and they don't have any experience and they're going for the, oh, well, I'll just point to the team, the team's experience, but your personal relationships are at risk. And if you haven't partner with anybody, I get uncomfortable with it because you don't really know what's going to happen and you don't know how committed they are to the end result. And so for me, I encourage people to go do a deal with friends, family, people they've known for a decade or two, and they believe in them, right? They know that they're going to do all the things that it takes in order to be successful there. 
And yeah, you might need to partner with somebody from a KP standpoint, a key principal. But as far as the other partners in your deal, I think you want to do that with folks that you know. I make a joke now that I came up with it a couple of weeks ago. And that's truth, brother. Like there's some truth in that. Yeah. I mean, I've got battle scars from partnering with the wrong people. Especially in the beginning, dude. I mean, I've got the war stories. That's how I learned the hard way. The hard way. And so here's my new joke, Corey. You'll get a kick out of this. All right. So I think a lot of people are more than willing to leave their kid with somebody than they are to drop 150000 with them. I know. <laughs> Easier to get somebody to leleave their kid with you. Let's not make it one hundred and fifty. Let's just make it 50 I mean. Right? So this idea that you're just going to go raise money for strangers and you don't have a track record and experience, I just don't know how feasible it is. It's not. It never works, right? So listen, I could write a book. I should write a book on deals that never did, <laughs> deals that never happened, right? These pipe dreams that someone like raise, everybody thinks that raising money is the easiest thing ever. Oh, I'm going to raise a couple of mil. I'm just going to raise a couple of mil. And that's how they say it. And you already know they're full of <laughs> bullshit. Because they just said it like that. Yeah. And they were like, wait a second. Hold on. Let me ask you a question. How much money you raise? None. And it gets like crickets. You're like, hold on. Let me get this straight. Okay. You just (laughs) said you threw two mil. You you said it like two mil. Yeah, I'll get two mil. Wait, you let that come out of your mouth like that quick and easy. And you're acting like it's not. And you've never raised a dollar. Come on, man. <laughs> they do and, it all the time, man. And, then they, it's and they wonder why the deal didn't happen, right? Well, we both know why it didn't happen. They didn't have the proper infrastructure in place. Period. It takes a lot of work and effort and a lot of grinding in the beginning, right? People, I don't think people understand the hustle of what it really takes to get those relationships. And because raising money is about people and personally and integrity. And that's not built in a one phone call. At all. And I don't even know that it's built over the course of one or two months. I've been building relationships for six months a year, and they're still trying to figure out who Jerome is. And not to mention like the folks who have met me on social or at conferences, and then they just kind of vanish, but they're watching everything you do. Right. And they're making sure that you're not fly by night and you're going to still be around and still doing the business. And you're not moving from apartments to crypto. It's a journey to get money. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm on Bitcoin or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. They want to see some longevity. They want to see some consistency. I mean, that's what the trust comes from the the ability to predict what's going to happen next. Yeah, I think you said it in a good way. So, like, when you look at those joint ventures, like, sometimes the easiest way is to find your friends and family, people that you know, like, and trust that know you and you know them. Now, not every friends and family are the right people. You still got to be smart about it. And you just don't pick anybody. You got to build the right team and network to say, hey, here's how I get that first deal. Or you've got to do a hell of a lot of, like, going to events and networking, going to Jerome's event, going to my events, meeting people forming relationships, making those relationships bond and communications to where you have a reasonable suspicion that they're not idiots, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so here's the thing for me, right? I don't really want your money. I want your intellectual horsepower, Yeah. right? If you're in the deal with me, it's because, and I respect you, I think you're a smart person and you can add value. Yeah. The last thing I want is dumb money in my deal. And I know there's people out there who are chasing dumb money. They talk about, oh, well, you know, this person just has a bunch of money and they don't care. So they're going to give it to me. I think everybody that has a lot of money actually cares about their money. That's how they got it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, just so everybody listens to my podcast, Jerome, I talk about dumb money all the time. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So here, listen, here's my analogy of dumb money from smart people. When I talk about dumb money, I think about anybody that has money in the stock market. I call that dumb money, yeah. right? It shouldn't be there. Like if people truly understood how much the brokers have no control and they don't really care, to me, that's really dumb. And smart people use these people. And I used to be a financial advisor, so I know that, right? So that's my version of dumb money, but it's yeah. really from smart people that just, they don't know any different because they don't know about what we do in the syndication world and how we raise capital, how we put these partnerships together to make sure that we can do some amazing things. Let's talk about the amazing things that you've done. And what's your favorite deal? When you look back at like, the deal that makes you smile the most, what deal is that and how did you get it? Man. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you, the Kahuna Boardroom is open and it's live. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, anybody that's attended this event, I'm telling you right now that they have been blown away. And the reason for that is, you know how you go to most events and there's a bunch of selling and this, you need that, you need my next course, you need all this other upsell stuff. Like the event that you go to is really not the one that you really need. That's not this. I spend three days teaching you everything that I know. I give you all my forms, all my stuff. And most importantly, if... <laughs> I introduce you, I give you my credibility kit. In other words, we make one for you guys, but because I put myself as your partner, I get to include all my properties in your credibility kit with your branding, your colors. I don't know who else does that, but I'm telling you just for that alone, it is worth the $9.97 just to get in. So if you're looking to change your life in 2023 and really level up, I highly recommend that you go to kahunaboardroom.com and register now. April 27th through the 29th is when the event starts. So when is the Kuna Boardroom? It's April 27th through the 29th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Guys, you will not want to miss the event. The weather's going to be great. It's going to be a wonderful time. And I would love, love to see you there. That's a really interesting question. I think it's going to be the smallest deal we've done. We did this eight unit, right? It's part of a package, but we did this eight unit and we bought it for $22,000 a door. It's worth over $40,000 a door today. And we bought it with one vacant and it was just a mess. Mom and pop, the guy was ready to retire. He had a bunch of trapped equity in there. He had no mortgage and he was looking to cash out. And we were able to solve his issue of being real estate rich and cash poor. And we were able to buy a property that cash flows 25% a year, cash on cash. And we can keep the deal or we can cash out, which I think is amazing because we're in that position. But I made some stupid mistakes on that deal. And I just learned so much. And I'm more than willing to talk about those if, if you're open to it. I think there's some pretty good stories. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm like, well, you just open a can. Let's get in it, man. <laughs> we got time. I got time. Yeah. So we bought this deal. And so we're doing due diligence and we walk into one of the units and I look up and I'm like, man, why are the vents taped off? That's like really weird. Why would somebody with central HVAC put cardboard up over the vent and then tape all the way around with duct tape? And so we're walking through and just kind of look around. And so I, the owner happened to be there. I was like, hey, what's going on with this? And he said, I don't know. They're weird. They probably think that they can get cheaper bills by just doing the window unit. Like, I've never heard anybody say that or think that. And so I go to the thing and I flip the switch, try to turn it on. It goes, bunk. I'm like, what? What's wrong? And so we go outside. We look at the fan. It's spinning, but it's off. Like it started spinning, but it cut off. So I go back in, I hit it again. And then you start to get this really bad smell. 
I mean, it smells awful. They're like, what in the world is going on here? And the owner's like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. I mean, we'll just close. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And this was like right before closing. <laughs> and so, it's of fine. course, we follow the lead, right? The old man says that it's fine. And we go to the closing table. And right after we close, we send the HVAC guys in there to figure out what's going on. And Corey, there was a possum that fell down on the heating coal and was burned onto the heating coal. And they got into the attic by jumping off a tree, jumped on the roof and climbed into a hole in the soffit. And when the HVAC guy went into the attic to see what was going on, the rest of the family was still there living in the attic. And then the one that sacrificed himself trying to find heat was in the thing. So that cost us a whole unit. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't even go up there. He was like, they're mad. I'm not going up there. And so we had to send the exterminator in to get them out. And then we had to replace the whole unit, man. All the duct work, everything. And it's like, man, this is... Oh, you couldn't get this smell out, huh? You can't get it out. You couldn't get it out, right? And so we bought it a good number, but we had to pay enough to replace the unit. If you would have done that little due diligence beforehand, right? You could have been like, hold on, you know, $10,000 or whatever it's going to cost. Yeah. Here's the bill. We're taking it off the price. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, right? When you don't know what you're doing and you are trusting and you don't force the issue. And the crazy part is I had an inspector come in and check the property out. Right. I had a property inspector check it out and he didn't raise any issue about it. Because he never uh, flipped the switch. He, probably like he said he did, but he probably didn't. Right. Because he would. Well, he said it was non-functional. Yeah. He said it was non-functional. Right. There's no identification of what that means. If the power is off in the unit or the water is off in the unit, then it's, it's non-functional. And they move on to the next thing because for them, it all pays the same. And so what I've learned from that experience and plenty of others is if you're doing an inspection, make sure all your utilities on, right? Because we closed two deals on that day. The A unit was the smaller of the two. On the other deal, we didn't have the water on in one of the units. And there were townhomes and they were like side by side, right? Because the townhomes shared walls and the pipe in between the toilet and the shower had bursted. And we didn't know that. And so when we turned the water on to start the rehab, oh, yeah. water started gushing out, right? Comes down the stairs in the oh, unit. Shit. And then it also goes through the wall into the adjacent unit and ruins the cabinets in the kitchen, right? We didn't budget for that because the cabinets were in good shape. Yeah. Now we did. You know what I mean? And so you get into these spaces and Corey, I love the podcast where everybody makes money and they're perfect every time. But I'll tell you, brother, I'm not perfect. I don't no, get everything. Right? I've got, made plenty of mistakes. But now here's the silver lining between all that, right? And I think this isn't a testament to anybody that's listening right now. This is what happens. You got to have some grit and some fortitude to say, I don't care because the job is to fix problems, right? That's it. And if you're not learning in this business, because we're, I mean, I'm still learning today. I still have lessons, my friend. Yeah. I know you do too. That's what makes you the operator that you are. Because if everything went right, it would be too easy. Everybody would be in this game. And that is the special ability, I think, that I see most entrepreneurs. That is the skill set that they have, is to solve problems, and then you get better. Like, But the main thing is you put yourself in motion. You put yourself in play. And the problem with a lot of people is they want to do it, but they've never just put it in gear. You got to put it in gear, baby. 
you know, Corey, I think we're playing in a wild, wild west and everybody else is domesticated, living in the city. They got the lines on the road. They got the sidewalks. We're walking through the woods, baby, and we got a map and a compass and you got to find your way. Out. Kill what you keep. <laughs> keep what you kill. Right. So let me ask you this, uh, kind of just fast forward. So see where you started, where you're at now. Yeah. What is the future, man? What's the future for Jerome? Yeah. So the game is a thousand doors here in our market, Greensboro, North Carolina. We've got 120 unit development. We look to break ground on later this year. And we're just kind of putting it one piece together, piece by piece with the goal of impacting over a thousand families here in the triad, man. That's our game. 2028 is deadline for that. All right on. Listen, and what's funny too, is you'll hit that as soon as you hit it. I know as soon as I hit it, you had to put another, another thousand on it, right? You're like, Hold on, that ain't enough. And then you get 5,000. I'm not 5,000 yet, but that's my new goal is to get there, right? And the truth is, because the game is fun, don't you think? Without question. I can't imagine doing anything else. Like I tell people all the time, I'm unemployable. At this point, unemployable. I can't go back. Yeah, that's the fun part of this business. Once you get to that other side, because it takes a minute, right? And this is that's the other part. I want to make sure I don't sugarcoat it for people. It's not get rich quick, even though apartment investing sounds sexy. Listen, you sometimes have to go a little bit longer than like the single family game. You can get quick, richer, a lot quicker if you can flip some homes, right? Get that quick money, but it never lasts, right? It doesn't. And you keep chasing the transaction. Yeah. It's just the opposite with, I think, multis and starting to play, get in the apartment game is it doesn't flow as fast as you thought it would in the beginning. Right. Once it gets turned on, it's like an everlasting gobstopper. It keeps on giving, baby. And the stuff that you have buys more stuff and it keeps going and going and going. And all you have to do is stay out the way, right? You can choke it by trying to make sure that you do everything and control everything. But let's be clear. If you have a system in place and you got the right folks on your team, you being involved is probably a problem, not a solution. Yeah. Boom. That's a big thing too. The less you do, the more I make, right? Honestly, a lot of times where our biggest problem, you, know, you point at somebody, you got three other fingers pointing back at you. And really that's a lot of times in this business, because it is a team business. And a lot of times when you first start, you got to put on all the hats. As soon as you learn to get some of the hats off of you, just be the captain of the ship, dude. And that's it. And really that's a high level captain, right? Like we're not even talking about the little stuff that you got to do. Your team will do that for you when you set it up right. And that makes a really successful value. You come back from that corporate world where you had people and you had to let them go, right? Get good people and make choices. The difference now is what? With your team. Mine's call. Yeah, It's my call now, right? I thought it was my call because I was making operational decisions, but it wasn't my call. The buck didn't stop with me. It went a little further. And that was probably the most sobering thing. It changed my thought over management versus leadership and management versus ownership. Two very different things. And I think for me and my family, my goal is to be in ownership and have equity. Because those are the things that you can actually pass from generation to generation. Word up. Just like that, Jerome, a couple quick questions before we wrap this thing up. Any new books or anything you've read lately that you want to share that you've had a, that's had some kind of impact on you? Yeah. I mean, one book that I read was pretty impactful for me last year was Sizing People Up by Robin Tree. And it talks about what it actually means to trust people and how to get other people to trust you 
and how to determine whether or not you should trust other people. Give six great indicators on what you should do when vetting a person. And it's been a game changer for me because I don't have the luxury of being around people I can't count on. And so I need to be able to get through that quickly. Sizing people up. I like, I might have checked that book out. I've not read that book, so I'm going to check it out. That's cool. And then if you could give any advice to kind of some of the new people that are maybe listening right now, what would you get? What would you say to them? Your dreams should be real, right? And while I'll tell people, hey, don't go hunt Moby Dick, get some tuna in the boat when you start your apartment investing business, right? There's some incremental steps before you go take down a monster deal. I also will tell you that you can have that monster deal, but know that there's a ton of work. There's a price of admission. You have to be willing to pay that. My first deal, the guy didn't want to bring me in because I couldn't articulate my value. I hadn't done the actual work to deserve to be in a deal yet. And you may be sitting in that chair and maybe you aren't getting things to work for you because you haven't done the work to earn it. And so be willing to do whatever it takes for however long it takes until you get the result that you want. And don't be scared to do some incremental steps in between where you are and where you want to be, because that's not failure. That's not settling. That's creating a story and a track record so that you actually can show that you have the capacity to do the bigger deals. Jerome, that is awesome. Guys, what a great episode of a journey, how you can make money, joint venture, get in the deal, make sure you're signing the paper. Success is around your corner. Listen, it is no harder than to say this and do this is to sit there right now while you're listening to this podcast and tell yourself, and you got to say it and proclaim it boldly that today is your day. You got to see it. You got to see ownership in your future. You've got to see the vision. It has to be clear. And more importantly, you have to remind yourself daily because I'm telling you, as soon as you go into this business and you decide Murphy's Law is coming, right? So you got to fortify it. You got to strengthen it. Remind yourself daily, because if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is absolutely possible. Mm -hmm.